Gates. Chapter 6 Back in the past, on a dusty crossroad some 20 years ago, in the middle of thick countryside with nothing and no one around, devoid age 19 woke and lifted his face from a dusty road and wiped away the muck from his mouth. As the dust blew, making him close his eyes, as he rose from the road where he lay unconscious for some time, he thought to himself, where the hell was he and how did he get there? Dressed in a tattered and ripped t-shirt, baggy trousers with plain spun shoes, he looked at the outfit and pulled at the holes in it, questioning why he was dressed like this and what the fuck was going on. When suddenly he felt like he climbed inside a new body at the moment of climax with no build, just instant rush. Buzzing, he felt this immense power surging through his body, so much so he felt himself a wood. He bit his bottom lip and grinned. He began to dance around like Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali in a typical boxer-like style, floating inches above the dirt and gravel. It just felt right. For the first time, Akori raged through his entire body, making the hairs on his skin stand on end. He could feel it coming over him wave after wave as he stood for a second and felt this new rush. He looked around him for hundreds of yards, all the while keeping his eyes closed, using hearing like that of a bat. He could see a picture of everything in his mind clearer than sight. A figure of Devoid stood glowing red, with white eyes and the smallest of black dots at the centre. This was his mind's eye opening and looking at the bigger world. A red figure he stood below a white sky on grey and black roads. Cornfields blown by blue waves of wind, he could clearly see the wind's motion and movement as it blew and moved. It was mind-blowingly beautiful, and so simple was this picture his mind's eye now allowed him to see. Bill had taught this boy how to see so he could better serve as a slave. Watching a giant gust of wind get closer to the void, watching it come closer from over a mile away inside his mind, it stood out in blue, darker than the rest, while the roads and the ground faded and changed from grey to black, and the sky was white. Letting the blue wind wash over him, with wave after wave he looked down at his own hands as they glowed red. As he watched each gust, he became more and more one with each that passed him by while watching this giant blue wave of wind approach. He stepped another smaller wave while he waited and it set him into the sky for a moment and back down. He floated with the wind and as he was carried four feet into the sky, this made him smile a little wider and he still watched this giant blue come closer. Then he smashed into him, blowing his glowing red hair back in the wind while the dust from the road bounced tiny particles into his face and his still closed eyes. His clothes now flapped, beating in the wind at the side of his body. He turned after waiting for the strongest part of the wind and jumped into the sky with it, leaving the grey ground beneath him. He pushed up into the sky, 
surrounded with blue. Higher and higher he went flying through the sky, the rush still flowing through his whole body. This blue giant gust of wind carried him for half a mile, across fields of corn, in and around the sky before he leapt to another one, and another one, each time with small fluid motions, keeping his eyes closed and feeling every movement, from his head down to his toes. He was totally in control, with no transformation this time. Although this thought suddenly came into his mind and 30 feet above ground, almost back where he started from, he opened his eyes and let in the light. His eyes fully gestated into black for a moment while they took in the light and his eyes adjusted. Instantly freezing at the sky, hanging 30 feet high and not falling, he had no wings. He wasn't moving with the blue wind. What or who was keeping him in the sky? Feeling the rush of power in his body still and allowing it to just flow all over his whole body. He grips his hands to fists and falls. 30 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet, 5 feet, slam! Dust and earth are scattered in every direction as he makes a small crater in the soft ground. He strains himself and feels something creep up inside his spine, inside his mind. Devoid opens his mouth in anticipation of something coming out. It's only to hear a voice saying, Show me you have faith in you, boy! That voice. Where did it come from, he thought to himself. He didn't need to look around because he could feel everything around him. For mum, wait, there, something. What was this he could feel? Something, some things were out there with him on this dusty crossroads in the middle of thick countryside, surrounded by corn and dust. The wind blew further. What could it be? They are alive, I can sense it. They're something they don't feel. What are they? Maddening with the thought, he began to become enraged at this unknown thing approaching, and it felt good. Devoid can now see red movements under the ground, getting closer to him through the grey and black earth. His mind's eye showed him they were below his feet as he closed his eyes once again. It would seem his newfound senses were serving him well. Where did these senses come from? What manner or thing allows him to see the sounds so clear in his mind? As he looked for answers, they were soon found. Just like the echolocation of a dolphin or the sonar of a bat, the frontal lobe of his brain sucked them out, the sounds reaching out for them. His mind was now alive with pictures and details of colour so vivid. He could now make out three harpies coming for him. Two male and one female closing in rapidly on his location as another blue giant crashed into him, flapping his tattered clothes. He thinks of taking off and taking them from the sky if they mean him harm. Okay, so you want to see fight? He thought to himself. He certainly meant them harm as his rage and focus grows, remembering what the voice said. He had a whole bunch of fight in him and the three heartbeats closing in on his position, going almost 50 miles per hour under the ground. Now they rose from deep in the ground, 20 feet from him, smashing the dirt, corn and rubble, into every direction, into the sky, as they came for him. One boy stood alone, ready and willing to do battle while being closed down on three fronts. They still hadn't revealed themselves above ground. As more and more dust and corn and dirt are spat into the air, as the distances eaten up in the path, they blazed 
Devoid danced back with the last part of the blue settling back down on the black, opening his eyes just in front of one of the aggressors right in front of him as the pack hopped him down from three angles at the same time. Wow! With his might, he instantly manifested a brick wall in the earth in front of the male aggressor and splat went his blood up into the air as the other two came out of the ground on each side of Devoid in a hail of blood and dirt. Devoid took to the air, they slammed against one another and the air left their lungs, they both fell on the ground, winded and foiled while he floats above them. They looked up from the ground they stood on while the rubble and dust and blood settles back down to earth so you can see what they look like as the dust settled. They were ninja from nowhere but looked to someone as their slanted eyes looked slicing him down from the sky. They could only now stand and stare for a moment and look back at their fallen while the thirsty ground drank up the blood. With the last pump of this dying ninja's heart, the blood flowed as the red liquid surged forward over the broken ground and was swallowed back up by this ever bloodthirsty mud. The ninjas now knew they were already down in their numbers and Devoid hadn't even left a finger. With his eyes closed, he watched two red and one faded ninja below. Devoid grinned, still floating ten feet high in the sky, and moved back, falling amongst the straw, flattening it around him. He looked at the last of the blues from his glowing red fingers. He opened his eyes to see the ninja all dressed in black, pulling katanas from their backs, to the sound of metal pinging as the tips clipped the metal on their holsters on final ascent. Jumping into the air they go, swinging at the corn with their swords to get a clearer look at Devoid, still waiting in the tall fields as they scream in a shock force. Down the swords came towards his head and in almost an instant Devoid pulls elements from around the ground and into his hand, forging his own sword that looks like a black Excalibur. Clang! A few swords go as the void deflects the first blow. With breakneck time and then it just swiftly kick out as the void ducks a roundhouse kick from the woman and a double flicking kick to the body. Then the head goes a kick from the man. As the void's elbow smashed to his leg, knocking him back on his standing foot, he almost falls. Another swing from Katana from the left as the void dances back, floating to just off the ground like a boxer. He pulls back his broadsword over his right and they all his weight down on one side. And with all his power breaking the ground he stood on with his right hand, his fist was coming. Smack! His right hand goes into the side of the ninja on his right face. With the same amount of motion that carries him, he ducks a katana swipe from the left. He keeps going and he goes into a forward tuck and roll, all the while extending his leg out and watching this deadly ninja. Buff! His heel broke the look on her covered face and smashed into her cheekbone, caving her to the ground. She exhaled a feminine and stuck out her hand to catch the ground as she almost collapses in a heap after the heavy hit landed. Devoid jumps back with a lightning fast timing and settles further away in the straw field, making a line flattening the field following his 15 foot jump. All of a sudden, blood shoots out from the ground. Like a giant squid's arm, eight blood tentacles gripping Devoid's neck from a twenty-foot distance away. 
tighter the grip goes, stronger and stronger the earth begins to move, rumble and shake as the thought to be done ninja rises like a demon from the dirt. Psychopathic Paul enters the fight, pulling the voids towards him, shouting, get over here! While the void smile flaps in the wind, carrying him towards Psycho, his feet swinging back behind him, the force was so great, could he have finally met his match? Stick! Splat! The two ninjas were paled as soon as the void and their Psycho were inches off one another's faces. Into each of the ninja now was a blood-popping tentacle like a spear. Through their bodies, inside them it made its way up to their heads, all the while they screamed and shouted. Woof! Their heads went exploding in every direction, covering the yellow corner, the thirsty ground drank up their blood. Their clothes scattered as the swords fell to the ground, they were gone. The void still, sword in hand, swung a mighty switch, splattering all eight tentacles, coming out of Psycho and freed himself from Paul's grasp. He landed on his feet, ready for the next attack, while Psycho staggered back, adjusting himself from the weight he just shed. Once again, the thirsty ground drank up all that blood. Swoosh! Clang! The two swords came together for a second, having instantly manifested through will alone, black on silver, as they caught the sun, while the air passed in the pots of power, casting out in every direction. Their feet slowly pushed back the dirt as they pressed together, sizing one another up. Devoid stood taller than Psycho, but only for a moment, as he grew larger and stronger, again through will and knowledge of the Akori surging through his body. He was about to do a very bad thing. He pulled the blood back out of the thirsty ground and back into his body as the Void's eyes widened, taking in what he was seeing. It was as if Paul was growing stronger while gaining in size and strength. He now stood over six feet and looked down at the Void. You're mine! Psycho shouts as he kicks out a right leg to sweep the feet from underneath the Void. He just manages to jump back. The kicker aimed at taking his legs away, while Psycho snapped a razor-sharp metal bite, instantly grabbed a full length of Sharp's teeth. Dylan blocks the second attack with his sword, and Psycho's metal teeth shattered it. Psycho takes a step back, chops at Sharp's and swallows them. Where was this fight going to end? They were both overcome with a Corimono, and omnifarious in their every move. Evil thoughts went through their minds as he watched, their minds now fully open to Bill's new weaponized personas. Paul was a true psychopath in every way, licking his lips, 15-year-old and reanimated prodigy, looking down at Devoid Dylan. His head tilted to the side and he grinned at Devoid, while he watched him drop the broken sword and grip his hands so tight, blood dripped from his clenched hands. And like watching it again, in reverse, the blood went back up from the ground and back into Dylan's hands. He began to flip a switch, dance back like a boxer, and he was gone. He had vanished into a larger world. Clear from Psycho Paul's sight, Devoid had completely vanished. Paul flicked his switch from inside his eyes and turned on the light to search the darkness for Devoid that he danced into. Dylan remembered so much at that moment. He knew he had a past. He could just feel it. He could feel instinct, anger, power. 
This plane was beyond sight of a mere mortal and meant for things not of the corporeal, and it was there for the first time he saw Bill Bright. He was greeted by his new master. Bill stood straight with his arms behind his back and his face awash with green. He nodded to the boy. The whole place waved and flowed like watching heat from a pot on the wall. Shimmering and dancing it went. This plane was a new battleground for these omnifarious beings. Or was it a good place to hide? Psycho's eyes, still searching with their light, crossed over onto the green plane and floated it to sight of Evil Bill and Devoid Dylan. They both turned in the green waves and saw Psycho's eyes. They appeared as yellow bodies to an onlooking floating eyes. As Paul pulled the rest of his body over onto the plane, his whole body disappeared from a natural state. His eyes were like black holes that just sucked his body across as his whole body flowed inside his eyes. He struggled to make the transition and giggled. <laughs> he crossed over and stood along with the two of them in the green plane. This powerful trio were in one another's company in a place new to two of them but mastered by one. Evil Bill greeted his son with a grin and his adopted son Devoid with a nod as their minds crossed over onto Bill's. Bill tells them of their enemies and his battle with the master of the Shadow Games, Sensei Shizuki, and his seven lessons. They have stood up against me, challenged my power, and taken my blood, becoming just like us three. He tells the boys. All the while, they still size one another up in a rage that still echoes loudly inside of them. Bill carries on talking to these two yellow entities in the green plane, telling them of their powers and the threats their enemies cast over the world if they are allowed to live and breathe. He tells them that in the years he has been fighting Sensei Shizuki, he has stayed one step ahead of his grasp and has a busy, busy mind and is not to be underestimated, even with the Okori at their disposal. Shizuki analysis have beat me on more than one occasion, but you too, you're now ready, Evil Bill says to them, talking to them from inside their own minds. All the while his mouth never moved. He became a voice inside their heads, guiding them both. With both their day personas safely tucked up inside little boxes in the back of their minds, Bill carried on talking to them, lifting his hands from his back and invited the boys to walk with him as he raised his arms and gestured to the road ahead. They walked on together, and with a flash of purple and a wave of his arm, Bill brought them back to the realm of Earth. As all of their eyes turned black for a moment and adjusted to the light, and one by one they blinked their eyes back to that of a normal human. It was behind the eyes. It all went on. These fleshy vehicles they walked with were just one of an infinite amount of weapons at their disposal. These crazy-powered new beings were simply immortal. Do we even have a name for what we are? Devoid asked. Bill looked at the boys as Paul's size dropped back to his usual 5 foot 15 year old self, still walking together now on the dusty road with the fields of corn blowing in the wind as the ninja's clothes still ripped and tattered, just blowing along the road. No, Bill says. There isn't a name for what we are because we are not just one thing, boys. We, together, are more than our enemies. 
he added, they may have greater numbers than us, and a mind bathed in centuries of shadow games, but they are still the lessers, and no match for us. They can still change like we can, but that's all they can do. Bill rose on with his speech. They can only run away from us as we make the planes ours and look upon them from the very shadows that he cast on the ground that we leave them in pieces on. They have won a few battles in the past, but the war will be MINE! Bill looks around in a frantic manner as his eyes change for a second. So quick was his sight to look at all the planes and look around him. He looked nervous. The boys looked at one another, thinking to themselves, what on earth did he just do? Sizing up one another all the time, wanting to fight. Dad, what was that? Paul asks. Ever feel like something's watching you, son? I felt this way for a long time. There's something watching me. Bill looked puzzled. Seemingly like magic, Bill grew a trench coat to cover himself and turned up the collars in a defiant mood to shield himself from this unseen force. He looked nervous. The boys hadn't felt this presence yet, but Bill had. None of them really understood what happened that day on the rocks out to sea, but the smell of rotten fish often took any one of the three of them back to that moment when the shark's breath was so close that he could smell its foul stench. And all of these didn't have a plan that day to change the fate of all mankind. And so simple was its plan, but with its infinite wisdom and dying last act, it gave up its own life's blood, and over 480 million years worth of evolution went pouring into these humans, changing their DNA, unfathomably, forever. How long would it be before the rest of the Ordovicians learned of the trio, or would they learn of them first? Neither of them knew one another existed at this point because the Ordovicians existed in the Pale Plain, which was full of life, able to move vast distances across the entire unknown. They were truly omnipresent beings and total masters of everything. Unlike the trio, they had learned to let go. Once such Ordovician lived as a human. For thousands of years, she studied this, and at this time in her local streets, she was known as Jane. Jane came and went in different forms over the years, even having families of her own, making sure she didn't pass on any of her life force when she took human form for a lifetime. She would live and die and be reborn every hundred or so years, living until she was old, enjoying the slow years the most. As her body slowed, her grasp on our nature increased. With less pace, she had more accuracy in using her powers to capture the mood she fell in people she would encounter and project that out so any other Ordovician wanted to see Jane's experiences could see them and instantly know how we humans were getting along with one of their own, all the while hiding in plain sight. Jane had a favourite emotion. She loved to send out. It was love that was felt by a parent as they said goodnight to their offspring after a day. She would stay thing that emotion while in her apartment, sat cross-legged with just a lamp on at the far corner in a simple room with no telly. She didn't need one. She sent that emotion out. To any onlooker, Jane would look like she was simply meditating in her own space, like that of a Shaolin monk, peaceful and full of grace and elegance. But to lift your sight and see truly with opened eyes, Jane was sat like a ball of light, 
casting out pure energy, wave after wave of bright white light, casting across the unknown, across the pale plain and back to her home, these feelings and emotions would go. Jane could feel the emotion of an entire city all at one time and see how they all felt, instantly knowing of acts unfolding, almost like knowing the future before it even ever happened. Jane was Earth's conduit of emotions expressed through psychic connections back to the Pale Plane and all the Ordovicians. She was like an explorer of worlds back in Pale Plane. That was all that was really left to do for the Ordovicians, to explore new things and be together, as the old thought brought them together one day over 400 million years ago. They faced an entire obliteration of their whole species. The Ordovicians, all those hundreds of million years ago, were like giant squid, swimming free deep inside Earth's oceans. They were cephalopods at a time where there was still evolutionary energy on the Earth before it went dormant. Over 20 million years they lived on Earth before the event took everything from them. The Earth's oceans boiled and turned to acid, leaving them with no choice but to evolve or die. They had to make the choice to step into the pale plane. With help from the last remaining evolutionary energy they could find, they took a step into a bigger world. So with their highly evolved minds and their old thought to guide them, with great pride they crossed into the unknown. But even with ears and eyes on the world and an open channel back to the pale plane, Bill's plan remained a secret to Jane and all the Ordovicians. They didn't know. One of their own had infected humans. Was it how Jane was listening? She wasn't close enough, maybe. Too many things not to know. All the while, one never knew of the other. Was Jane blinded by the old thought the Ordovisians hold so dear? Bill's mind was full of greed and he wanted the world. He almost had it too, if it wasn't for Suzuki and the lessers. But now he stood three times the man he once was, standing alone against the lessers with new minds molded in his own malice. Bill's mouth watered as he swallowed down that water. It tasted so good. Bill and the Mike Split Boys walked and talked, plotting and scheming his plan he hatched to take down all that stood in his way, while he got into the pockets of the rich and filled their worlds with things that they couldn't resist over the years that passed. Bill would use this tech to his advantage. Along the years he would blackball lots of tech for the boys in the black store, but not all would see the light of day. Tech so advanced and programmed so sophisticated that it would seep into the very fabric of existence, helping Bill predict future events and impending attacks. After 20 years, Bill and the boys still hadn't brought Shizuki to his knees. The lessers still stalked the shadows, only catching, killing and leaving messages for the ground troops and the generals under the very little knowledge of their master's war. They would willingly fight with little to go on, but small glimpses of power that awaited them if they were to succeed. Sensei Suzuki would allow the lessers to show their recruits in their ranks changes they were able to make in a show of strength to let them see what they were fighting for. Changes like a lesser turning from a woman into that of a dragon. Breathe fire, birth from deep inside her, and back into a beautiful woman once again. 
they thought they were following gods. The lessons had the power to change into anything they wanted, but did not have Bill's power to slip inside the walls of reality and across into the plains, beyond the grasp of the lessers and their growing numbers. They stayed pure to the original six men and one woman infected by Bill's flying blood on the rooftop of the Royal Hotel that night. Shizuki's change with his busy, busy mind and the bite from the severed head of Hitomiichi would allow him to recall the generations of shadow games bred into him, like opening the book and swiftly turning the pages inside his mind. He was the true master of shadows, and every part a match for Bill and his grasp of a bigger world, Shizuki could not reach. The game would be played by the two of them for over 20 years, as Bill amassed the fortune for him and the boys, while Shizuki amassed the numbers from the shadows to stand against Bill, and his omnifarious powers superior to Shizuki's. It was simply his mind that kept him alive and many steps ahead of the Scot, as Shizuki once knew Bill. Bill had become so much more, with now almost three decades of Korimono inside of him. What they didn't know was the plan the Ordovician had. The plan stayed a secret to all of them, as Paul broke free from his bonds and back to two minds, able to take both sides of the story and make one almost complete picture. But only because his father accepted a part of him that he wouldn't change because of his wife's love for their son. The two sides of Paul's mind would learn of one another, and of his father's grip on the world. Paul was now bound by the Goodness Society's false mind and persona to do something about their own father and the destruction he had caused to the world. After all, Shizuki and the Lessers were all his father's fault. Paul was free and able to grasp all these things because his mind experienced both sides at the same time. His love life saved his soul. One might split into two, should have been one. The kind side of Paul that grew up with his foster parents was reunited with Dylan at school and blossomed into a great friendship. Paul knew that was all false. He had to figure out most of Bill's lies. It was hard in those moments of clarity because it was almost like his life was all a lie. Paul was a pawn to Bill, but he was thankful for his creation in his false mind of a softer, kinder man. He should have been had the Okorimono not changed him that day. That change made his father evil and turned him into a killer. The Pauls thought to themselves that this really wasn't their father's fault. After all, they were well into their 30s now and able to look at things as just fate befallen a soul not ready for this kind of power. Paul thought on one side he had to save his father while at the same time thinking he still had to kill him to stop him on an infinitely more angry and psychopathic side. Still with his yin-yang, he yearned for the future to tell him everything was going to be okay. Paul hatched a plan to break Dylan free of the void and planting things into Dylan's life that would bridge the gap between his father's mind split and who Dylan was really meant to be. But even Paul wasn't aware that his father had killed both him and Dylan. This would remain a secret for now even to Paul. What would he do if he found out? Would this kind side be brave enough to stand up to his darker self and save their father if he could even be saved? But why would they? And what could Bill have done to deserve Paul's mercy? Later that night in the streets of London.
but a Thrundi devoid manifested it from Paul pulled out the headphones from his ears and let the track play on. Devoid asked Psycho about tonight's plans to bring the Lessers and Suzuki to the knees of the dark streets of London, while they knew from Bill's black book tech that they were close by. Devoid had no idea of Paul's plan, playing out the track and planting a seed to bring them back. Chapter's end. All thoughts are not the same.